once more, happy Mother's Day. You know, I knew I was going to be talking on Mother's Day, and so I was thinking about all the things that moms do, right? And we can all probably list some amazing things that our moms do, but I think there's some things that moms do that are a little bit uncanny, right? Maybe they might seem impossible to the rest of us. I think we might call them mom superpowers, right? And we already had one spoiled for us texting, and so I didn't realize that was going to be taken. Uh, but there's a, there's a few more I would want to just uh, take a note of. The first, the look. Yeah, you know the look. Some of you have already seen the look today. Yeah, I won't make you raise your hands because the rest of us will see it later today, right? And, and next time we see our moms, we might see it again. The thing about the look is it always means something slightly different. But when you get it, you know. Like, you, you know what that means. Second superpower, the lie detector. Don't even have to explain it, do I? She just knows. Don't try. Don't try anything. Third superpower, the finder of lost things. All right, think the remote control, your other shoe, your homework, right? You've been looking for what seems like hours. It's just vanished. It, it burned up. It's not there anymore. And then in your last sliver of hope, you ask mom for help. And what does she do? Immediately finds it, right? Right at that second. Next superpower, the whisper yell. The whisper yell. This one's saved for special occasions. Think about a wedding, right? A funeral, a church service, right? The movie theater, right? Somehow your mom is able to pack all that intensity into 30 decibels or less. Amazing, simply amazing. And then our final superpower, super hearing, right? I don't know how but they hear everything. I remember so many times sitting in the third row of our SUV and I'm thinking I'm having this private conversation with my brother. We're whispering back and forth our deepest, darkest secrets and we just hear from the front seat, my mom yell, don't think I didn't hear that. <laughs> right? Amazing. I'm so thankful that I have a mom who not only has all these superpowers, I know from experience, but she went beyond superhearing. My mom is a super listener, that she has that ability to just listen with so much care and comfort and support that she doesn't even have to say those things. I just know. And so I'm so thankful uh, to my mom. Happy Mother's Day uh, to all of your moms, spiritual moms, uh, everybody that plays that role. Um, but first of all, welcome to Abundant Life Church. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. And you may not know, maybe you weren't with us last week, but we kicked off a brand new series called For God So Loved Blank. For God so loved, underscore, fill in that blank. But you might be completing that sentence in your head already. For God so loved the world, right? And that's true, and that's good. And what does that mean, right? We're getting a little bit more practical. We're getting a little bit more specific by thinking about what does the world mean? We think it means your boss. God so loves your boss, your spouse, your friendliest neighbor, and your grumpiest neighbor, believe it or not, that God so loved the people we encounter in our everyday lives, what we might call our neighbors. And last week, Pastor Gareth opened up by talking about what does it mean to be a good neighbor? We looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, probably the most famous neighborly parable, right, that looks at what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And realizing that, first of all, Jesus is a good neighbor to us. 
Just like so many things Jesus calls us to, Jesus demonstrates first what it means to be a neighbor and then calls us to do the same, that we get to communicate that in the way we relate to our neighbors. And this begins with prayer, to actually consider what our, our neighbors are concerned about, what their needs are, what, how are they seeing the world, and how can I connect with them through prayer? Consider them even before I consider myself in prayer. Um, and then actually taking that time to pray for them. And today we're taking that a step further, and this may be an uncomfortable step for some of us, and that is listening. And we'll talk about why that's so complicated, but if you want to join me in our text today, we'll be in Philippians chapter 2. So whether you have a physical Bible with you or a device you like to read on, we're in Philippians chapter 2. But why is it that simply listening to someone can be so uncomfortable for us? I think the first factor to keep in mind is that listening requires a couple of resources that are in incredibly short supply, and that is time and attention. First of all, time. I think there's a phrase I hear more than just about any other, I'll get to that when things slow down. Or maybe it's a house project, maybe it's something at work, uh, maybe it's, it's getting involved in some way. I hear this all the time when we talk about joining a group, right? I'll get to that when things slow down. You know what I've learned over time? Things don't slow down. <laughs> Not by themselves, at least, right? We have to make deliberate choices to rearrange our schedule to make space for things. Because when something jumps off of our plate, other things like to jump right on. And things just do not slow down. When it comes to attention, we know everything's vying for our attention, that there's this steady stream of news and content, new shows, new movies, new things going on in our lives. It's so hard to maintain our attention. The most glaring example lives in our pockets, and it's this thing, and you've, you've seen this before. This is your, your phone, and we know that nothing is more distracting in a family dinner or in a staff meeting or in a one-on-one -on -one conversation than that little buzz or that little ding of that notification that, oh, there's something I'm missing, right? And you might be saying, well, but David, I have that figured out. You see, I silence my phone. I got it figured out. Well, thank you for doing the bare minimum, just what comes up on a, on a movie theater screen before the movie, you've done that, and that's great. But you may have done some extra credit. You may have gone a little bit further and paid the real sacrifice of turning your phone off. And, and some of you are like, that's even possible? That has a button for that? But yeah, you turn your phone off. Some of you have mastered this brilliant gesture. You ready? Face down on the table. You have my attention. I'm here with you. I value you so much. I can't even see the screen. But you know what? Researchers have found that it doesn't matter whether your phone is silenced or turned off or even put upside down, face down on the table. Your phone is still draining your brain energy and your focus as long as it's in sight, as long as you can see it. You know why? Because your, phone, your mind actually has to work, actually has to put brain power in to keep you from picking it up and turning it on and checking your notification. They found that you were similarly distracted whether your phone was in your hand or face down on the table just because your brain is still working. The only way to keep yourself from being completely distracted is to keep it out of sight. That's how connected we are to our phones. 
So there's this constant stream of information, things constantly vying for our attention. It takes a deliberate choice to pay attention, to give our focus to others. And so if we're going to take neighboring seriously, we have to make deliberate choices about our time and about our attention. This might mean making some changes to your schedule. It might mean, might mean missing today's news. Just might. It might mean missing a little bit of that show you've been waiting for, right? It just might. But I'll tell you what, it's worth it. Because God has designed us and Jesus is calling us to connect with others in real, authentic, meaningful ways. And we're gonna get into that today. So there's another factor that keeps us, um, that keeps listening incredibly uncomfortable for us, that makes it really difficult for us, our differences. You see, we do a really good job. We're very skilled at cultivating what I call a community of sameness, right? That when we have the choice, we tend to surround ourselves with people who talk like us, who share our ideas, who think like us, maybe live like us, who generally agree with us. But here's the challenge when it comes to neighboring. We usually don't get to pick our neighbors, Right, we're, we're kind of just left with the people that we come across every day at work, at home, uh, just the people around us. And then we run a risk of, I don't know what to expect with this person. I may not know my neighbor very well, but I like what I know. And I don't know, if I talk to them, if I listen to them, I might learn some things I don't like, or I might learn some things I disagree with. Right? And what do I do with that? How do I handle that? How can I have a relationship with someone I disagree with? And this is precisely a challenge that the early church faced, probably one of the largest challenges to getting this movement off the ground. You see, in first century Palestine, society was very divided by, by sex, by class, by uh, nationality and ethnicity, among lots of other things. Women had their place, men had theirs. Jews knew where they were supposed to be. Gentiles knew where they were supposed to be. Samaritans knew where they were supposed to be. There was a place for the sick and the poor and then a place for the rich and the well, right? We have all of these separate spaces. Then Jesus messes everything up. Jesus invites women to be among his disciples. Jesus dines in the houses of the rich but spends most of his time among the poor and the sick, that, that Jesus preached to Samaritan, Jew, and Gentile alike, most of these things completely unheard of. And as a result, this movement that Jesus starts, this movement you and I are still a part of, becomes characterized by this breaking down of social divisions. And we read this in Galatians chapter 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, there's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And the amazing thing is that everyone got along perfectly and nothing went wrong. No, <laughs> no not quite. We read in these letters to the, uh, to the early churches, these letters we find in the New Testament, that people did not get along. It was an issue in every single church. There were differences and disagreements. And this should really be expected, right? When you take these people groups that don't get along with one another, that usually don't even mix, at least positively, and you tell them, hey, we're going to all be in the same space. Actually, we're going to be a part of the same community, 
Actually, we're going to be a part of the same family, right? There's tension. There's a rub there that people need to deal with. And that brings us to today's text from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, one of these letters. And we read this in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, as a parent of young kids, I feel like this is the same line of reasoning I use on almost a daily basis, right? You love each other, right? You love us, right? You like living here, right? You have the snacks you need and the toys you need, then get along, at least to make me happy, <laughs> right? We have this kind of parental letter from the Apostle Paul here that's just urging this community to get along. And he starts his argument um, with the things they have in common, the things this whole audience has in common, their relationship with Jesus, right? You have encouragement in Christ. You have compassion, love, sympathy. You have the Holy Spirit. So be of one mind. Or the literal translation there is set your mind on the same things. We might say today, keep the main thing the main thing. But how do we do this? How do we reflect the love, compassion, sympathy, encouragement of Jesus with people who aren't like us, with people we might disagree with, with people who we might see as a risk to engage with, right? How do we do this? Well, I want to uh, look at a couple of sentences from this passage of, of Paul's encouragement to the Philippians uh, and see what we can glean from there. First, do nothing from selfish conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Now, the assumption here is that we tend to be selfish, and it takes deliberate choices to be humble. We actually have to choose that. But we have this tendency to be selfish. A perfect example in a conversation would be uh, what I call the one-up, right? Where somebody shares a story, and, and the other person has to go on top of it. You might even like sing it like, anything you have done, I have done better, right? You might say, well, I, I just took an amazing trip to Rome. The other person responds, oh, I remember my whole semester abroad. I was just really a part of the culture. It was amazing, right? You might say, uh, well, my son just got into U of O. We're so excited. The other person says, oh, my daughter's been accepted to so many schools. I just, I don't know how we're going to choose. Maybe Harvard, right? <laughs> and these are extreme examples, but you know a one-upper, like you've been in those conversations where somebody just needs to top your greatest achievement or at least whatever story you're sharing and probably without thinking about it, you've been the one-upper, right? Because we have this tendency to make conversations about ourselves and we have different tools to do that. We might interrupt or talk over somebody. We might over-talk like, oh, it's my turn, so I'm gonna keep talking so they can't get in, right? We might change the topic so it's something we know more about and that we can be the expert in the room. Or we might share advice when it wasn't asked for. Oh, you have that problem? I can tell you exactly how to fix it. Let me tell you what I've done or what I can do, right? We have these tendencies, but listening with love, care, and compassion involves letting the conversation be about someone else. Just letting it be about someone else. 
That, oh, you're sharing about you? Let's keep sharing about you. I don't need to be a part of this right now other than listening. The next line I want to look at is, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, the assumption here is that we tend to interact with people to serve our own interests. And it takes a deliberate choice to serve others. Example in a conversation would be the get in and get out. Or we might say the the get info and get out. Like, I'm only talking to you to get the information I need. Like, right now, to me, you're Alexa or Siri, right? And if you start sharing something meaningful or a story from your life, I might get frustrated. I might zone out. I might say, I didn't come for your whole life story. Just tell me what I need to know, right? And in this, we're just treating people like a, a vendor of information for us. But what if we made time and space to listen to what's meaningful to someone else. Now, I realize this isn't realistic in every situation, but can we make space to at least value what's meaningful to someone else? To say, oh my gosh, I really want to hear more about that. That sounds really interesting. I don't have time right now, but here's time I do have. I don't have time right now, but let's grab some coffee later. I don't have time right now, but I really do want to hear what you have to say. Because listening with love, care, and compassion involves valuing the interests, the concerns, the ideas of another person, even if you don't share them, even if you don't agree with them. You might say, but wait, that doesn't sound fair. That doesn't sound like an even conversation because I have valuable things to say. What if I am the expert in the room? (laughs) I, I, I have value in this conversation. That's true. You do have value in the conversation. It's not fair and it's not even. And listening with care involves setting aside what you have to say in order to make it abundantly clear that you value and love another person. And this reflects the way that Jesus approaches us. As we continue our text, Philippians chapter 2, now in verse 5, reads like this. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus empties himself. Jesus humbles himself. Why? Because of his great love for us. Because he was willing to give everything to free us from sin and death. Because he was willing to give everything to be our neighbor right, to restore a relationship with us. Author Deborah Van Dusen Hunsinger has a really long name. Um, And she said this, when caregivers empty themselves of their own preoccupations in order to fully present to another, be fully present to another, they are, in one small way, following the example of Christ, who emptied himself of his equality with God in order to participate fully in our human plight. Listen to this. By showing attentive concern to others, pastoral listeners point beyond themselves to the listening God. Such conversations take place not for their own sake, but as a sign and witness to the God who takes human need to heart. 
Jesus, fully God, with the entire universe at hand, chooses to interact with everyday people in ordinary circumstances, to engage with individuals while the universe is still running. And one of my favorite examples of this is found in John chapter four. It's actually uh, Jesus's longest recorded conversation. He's been walking for a long while and chooses to take a break at the well of Jacob. And a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. And we learned last week the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was not the best, that they, they didn't get uh, along. And so if it was me, I might have pulled my phone out and started scrolling, not because I have anything to look at, but just to avoid an awkward conversation, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus actually initiates a conversation. And this is where we pick it up in verse seven. A Samaritan woman came to drink water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? See, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, as the conversation goes on, Jesus reveals that he knows a lot about this woman's life already. But he also reveals that he's open to a spiritual conversation with her, that she has questions and concerns about who God is and how to worship God. And, and Jesus engages in that. He addresses her concerns. They have a whole conversation about this. And then the disciples return in verse 27. Just then the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or what are you, why are you speaking to her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and were on their way to him. This conversation radically changed this woman's life to the point that she ran back to the city and had to tell everyone what just happened. This conversation started with a drink of water, with a simple interaction around a very ordinary thing. But Jesus thought a conversation was worthwhile. Now you might be sitting there thinking, but this is a series about loving our neighbor. When are we actually going to go do that? Right, when are we gonna do stuff? When are we gonna get practical? And what we're trying to lay out over these couple of weeks is that to, to really bless someone, to really love someone, there's a couple of steps to take. First, we have to begin with prayer, right? Because when we pray for someone, we are reorienting ourselves, the way that we are viewing them, the way that our hearts are turned towards them, right? We begin to see people the way that Jesus sees them when we focus on them in prayer. We start thinking about what are their needs? What are their concerns? They might be different than mine, right? And that's what we start to set our hearts on. And then we get to the point of listening. But, but, but last week, Pastor Gareth challenged us to write down some names of people we're gonna commit to pray for, 
right? Some names of people that fill in that blank for God so loved. And out there, I, I took a look on the banner, so many names were written down. And I know others of you wrote down in your workbook some names of people you're gonna pray for. Some of you might have written them down on a bookmark and put it up on your fridge. And that is awesome. We're gonna keep praying for others as we keep moving forward. But the next step here is listening. And so I wanna give you a new challenge for this week. I want to challenge you to initiate one conversation where you will listen with care. I'll say it again. I want to challenge you to have one conversation, to initiate one conversation where you will listen with care. Um, Theologian Henry Nouwen wrote this, listening is a form of spiritual hospitality by which you invite strangers to become friends, to get to know their inner selves more fully, and even to dare to be silent with you. You see, we often forget that listening itself is a form of care. It's spiritual hospitality where we're choosing to be present with someone. Because people don't just have physical needs. People have emotional, relational needs that can be met when we listen to people. And also, without careful listening, we might miss what that person actually needs we might start serving in a way that isn't actually helpful, or we might miss an opportunity to serve in a way that really gets to their heartfelt needs. My wife Haley used to work for the Salvation Army in Gresham for an after-school uh, program, and there were lots of people groups represented, lots of diversity uh, in this program, and one thing that she heard the students say over and over and over again is, there's no crayons that match my skin that I see white and yellow and brown and red, but nothing that matches me. And so when I'm told to draw a self-portrait, I have to pick something else. And Haley carried this information in when, when my son started kindergarten, and she messaged the teacher, hey, would it be helpful if we provided some skin-toned crayons? Like, would, would that be helpful? And the teacher's response was, oh my gosh, yes, I hear that all the time. We just don't have the budget for it. And it took just that simple act of listening. Yeah, there's a program to run. Yeah, there's, way, there's things that we need to do in a day. But, but let's take a moment to listen to these kids, to hear their frustrations, to take them seriously, and to actually serve in a way, to give in a way that meets a heartfelt need. Maybe not the most practical, but the need that they are feeling. Because in order to meet our neighbor's needs, we just have to listen first. So again, the challenge this week, initiate a conversation where you will listen with care. You notice I keep using the word care. I'm actually gonna get a little bit corny and we're gonna spell out the word care so we can remember what I mean when I'm talking about listening with care. So first, let's look at the C, curiosity. We are going to listen with curiosity, which is simply to say, I am interested in what you have to say and I'm showing it. How do we show it? Curious people ask lots of questions, right? Before they choose to give their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own words, they ask really good questions. Questions like, how did you come to see it that way? Or where can I find out more about that? I want to know more about what you have to say. The A in care is attention. So we have curiosity and now attention. Attention is saying, I'm fully present and I'm showing it, right? And how we show attention is with our eyes, right? Attentive people keep their eyes in the conversation, 
right? Their phone isn't silenced or turned off or put down, it's put away, right? They're not looking at the clock. They're not looking at the more interesting thing on the other side of the room. Their eyes are in the conversation. The R is reflection. I heard what you said. That's it. I heard what you said, and I'm showing it. Reflective people avoid critiques. They avoid assumptions. They avoid additions. They would simply say, what I'm hearing you say is, and notice that doesn't lead to, and that must mean, or I heard you say this, and now I understand everything about you. Because if we have some questions, if we're not sure, if there's a misunderstanding, we're going to ask questions because we're curious, right? So reflective people just say, I'm hearing what you're saying. And finally, the E is empathy, which is to say, I feel what you feel, and I'm showing it. It's going beyond the information. It's going beyond the data and getting more towards experience and feelings, how something is affecting someone. It might be saying, I hear how difficult this has been for you. Or that sounds so frustrating. Or that's so exciting. How, how are you feeling about that? Right, we're getting beyond the information so we can get to the person's experience to start to see things a little bit the way that they are seeing things. So we're gonna listen with care, with curiosity, with attention, with reflection, with empathy. And as we close today, I want you to think about who you could get to know a little bit better. Maybe who you've been wanting to get to know a little bit better, or who you know you should. Maybe somebody in your world that you just know needs someone to listen to them. And we're gonna initiate that conversation. We're gonna take some time to just sit and show some spiritual hospitality. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you are a God who empties himself. That with the universe at hand, you choose to engage with individual, ordinary people. Lord, to work through everyday situations to make a difference in our lives and in the world around us. God, would we learn from you? God, would you help us as we engage with our community and our neighbors? Lord, when it might be easy for us to keep walking or keep doing what we're doing or to take out our phone, Lord, would you prompt us, would you help us to just stop and lend an ear, if even for a moment, to show our neighbors that we care what they have to say, that we care what they feel, we care what their experiences are, before we ever just start to do things. God, would you just help us to pause and consider the other in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen.